Well, 18 months ago, my uh, daughter Shiloh uh, rode her bike for the very first time. Check this out. What are you doing? Okay. Riding my two-wheel bike. Okay, you ready? Keep going, Chuck. Yes. Keep going, Chuck. Yes. Woo! Woo! Yes, I. Good job. Look at you. How did you think that went? Good. I just remember that go slow you make. <laughs> That's a cute kid, I just got to admit, you know. That was her sister in the background. She was holding the camera going, yeah, you know. And we were so excited when uh, she got to ride her bike for the very first time. And you could tell it uh, on there as well. And that whole week, uh, Shy rode her bike. Uh, she wanted to ride it as much as she could. But we got to the end of the week. And she got on her bike, and I don't know why, but she, like, kind of started uh, going back on her bike ability. And she started having some control issues, and she hit the back of our neighbor's big red truck. Slammed right into the back of it. And I still remember that crack of the bike and her knees as well. And so her knees and elbows are all scraped up, and she comes to me with these big crocodile tears. Daddy, I never want to ride my bike again. I failed. Throw my bike away. Now, as a parent, at that point, you have to decide, okay, I'm not going to throw your bike away. You're going to get back on your bike, and I had to force her to get back on her bike. And she got back on her bike, and she was able to ride it because I knew something that Shiloh did not know, and it's this, that failure is an event, never a person. And that's our big idea that I want us to talk about this morning. Failure is an event, never a person. You can put that in your program or on our app. You can just go to our app, and there's a place for you to fill that in as well. Just because Shiloh had fallen down, it didn't mean that she was out because failure is never a person. It's simply an event. But, you know, the thing that I found is as adults, sometimes that's really hard for us to believe it. We can hear that statement, but it's more difficult for us to believe it. And my daughter gets it very naturally that when she failed, that she thought, well, I just got to give up. I got to stop because sometimes she looks at her dad or she looks at her mom. And when we fail, we feel that way as well. I mean, when a relationship in my life is going south and I'm not really excited about the fact that it's not really going the way that I want. I'm like, man, why, how have I failed in this relationship? Or when I make a poor financial decision and I don't manage my money well, and now all of a sudden I'm struggling with that. I'm like, you're such a failure. Or when I lose it with my kids and I'm not as patient as I should be, and I go off on them, I'm like, I'm a failure as a 
parent. Or when God is present in my life and I'm, I'm trying to honor him, but all of a sudden I make a whole bunch of promises to him and I don't keep any of them or I actually ignore them and I'm thinking to myself, I'm such a failure. And so sometimes I just wonder, why do I fail? And even though I know that I'm not a failure, sometimes I feel like that. Can anybody else relate to this? Have you ever ever felt this way before? You see, folks, everyone in this gym has failed before. Everyone has. There is no one down your row that has not failed. But the problem is, is when we come into church sometime and we think, oh man, my life is really kind of messed up right now and I bet everybody else has it all together. I bet like everybody else is good. It's just not true. So to try to kind of level the playing field for everybody this morning, I want us to be able to kind of have a mass confession of failure. Okay? A mass confession of failure. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to share a few categories here in just a second of things that you may have failed in. And if you failed in, I just want you to raise your hand, okay? So I'm going to give this whole list of categories, and if you failed in any of those things, you can raise your hand. So here we go. Here's the first one. If you've ever failed a test, okay? If you ever, no, 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 don't put them up yet. Uh, (laughs) Some of you are way too eager this morning. Meme, dude. Yeah, that's me, okay? Uh, Not quite yet. All right. So let me go through the whole thing, and then you decide uh, if that's you, okay? So here we go. If you've ever failed a test, been cut from a team, tried out for an an audition, and you didn't make it, ever went after a job and didn't get it, or lost a job, ever desired a promotion, and it didn't come your way, have you ever been inappropriately impatient with a three-year-old? Don't raise your hands yet, but uh, I think I know the answer. Okay. Have you ever slept through a teaching here at church that you wish you hadn't slept through? Or have you ever stayed awake during one which you wish you did sleep through? <laughs> ever said the wrong thing? Ever ate with the wrong, folk, uh, wrong fork? Ever worn polyester? Uh, If you've ever experienced moral, athletic, academic, social, relational, financial, or vocational failure of any kind, just raise your hand. Mass confession, put it up. There you go. Okay, I think almost every hand was raised there. Now, for some of you, you might be like, well, I've never personally failed. But does the person beside you look like they've gone south a few times? You know, maybe. Okay, this is what I want you to do. Looking at the person beside you, I just want you to repeat this after me to them. And it is this. Welcome to the future, or welcome to the failure club, okay? On three. One, two, three. Welcome to the failure club. Go ahead, tell them. Tell them. Well, that's what we are. We're, We're all a part of this club called failure. But we are not the first people to ever wrestle with this issue of failure before. In fact, one of Jesus' closest friends, a guy by the name of Peter, throughout 
most of the stories that we read in his life, many of them are him battling with big time failure, maybe more than any other disciple. Now, as we look at the failure in Peter's life, what I simply want to do is make three observations. Here's the first one. You cannot grow without risk, and you cannot risk without falling sometimes. You cannot grow without risk, and you cannot risk without failing sometimes. Now, the story of Peter's failure that we're going to look at is in Matthew chapter 14. And just before we get to his moment of failure, Jesus has just fed 5,000 people and he's, a, he's a shown this amazing miracle. And in the midst of this miracle, all the disciples are excited and they're stoked and they're like, yeah, let's stay here. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I want you guys to get in a boat and to go across the lake. The lake was four and a half miles long. I want you to go across the lake, but I'm going to go up to the mountain and I'm going to hang out and pray and be with my heavenly father. Well, the disciples go out on this lake and all of a sudden a storm comes up and the wind and the waves come and the waves are just kind of battering up against the boat. And it's in the midst of them being in this storm that we come to our story. In Matthew chapter 14, starting verse 25, we read this. Early in the morning. In other words, if if you look at this, it says in the fourth kind of period of the night. And the fourth period of the night was somewhere between 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So it's pitch black. They're in the midst of a storm and they are in a boat. Early in the morning, Jesus came walking toward them on the sea. And this is when they see Jesus' side of his divinity, of his power, of the fact that he's the Son of God. Many times we only think of Jesus as being loving, kind, compassionate, having kids around him, caring for them. But Jesus was God. He has divine power and he has power over the sea. So he is not fearful of the water because he helped to create it and he walks on it. Verse 26. But when the the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. How many of you have ever seen a person walk on water before? Okay, we don't have to send any of you to the loony bin, okay? Because no one has. But I was thinking about it this week, that if I were in a boat... And I was battling a storm the whole night, and I'm exhausted, and I'm tired, and it's three in the morning, it's pitch black. I don't think I'm going to be sitting there if I notice something moving on the water going, Hum, I wonder who's out taking a walk today. Because I've never seen that before. I mean, they saw what they were looking at, and they thought, This is a ghost. Now, they hoped that it was a friendly ghost, you know, like Casper the friendly ghost. Do you know what I mean? A friendly one. Now, what's ironic about this whole story is that Peter and all of uh, the disciples were, were used to this lake. 
And half of them were professional fishermen. They had been in storms before. They had seen all kinds of stuff before. But this time, on this night, when they see him walking on the water, they start crying like little kindergarten girls. Then it says in verse, in the next verse. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. So Jesus looks at his friends and he can tell they're all afraid. And he says, Hey, hey, fear not. Have no fear. Now, does this mean that the storm is not so bad? No. The storms that you and I go in too often. They're bad storms. It's tough stuff. It's circumstances. Uh, I had a funeral that I officiated on Friday, and this guy who had been uh, with this woman for 17 years, this storm hit, and he was just like barely able to walk even up to the casket. He was so overwhelmed. Storms come. But Jesus says, have no fear. It's like Jesus is saying, it's me. You know me. You've seen my character. You know my competency. You've seen my power. You've seen my wisdom. You can safely be with me. You can know that your destiny, wherever you're going, that if you stay with me, I can get you to where you're at. You do not need to live in fear. Verse 28. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you. (laughs) He says, if. It is you, because they all think it's a ghost. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. Now, you've got to picture this in your mind. Here are these guys. They're in a boat. And it's windy, and there's all this kind of wind and waves and there's all this uh, storm happening around them and all of a sudden they see jesus and jesus is like hey it's me don't be afraid and if you want you can just come out peter and peter's like hey if it's you lord uh go ahead ask me to come out and he says okay go ahead and do it and then all of a sudden this is what peter does he's in the boat and he takes one foot out and he puts it off the edge of the boat And all the disciples are like, dude, what are you thinking? What do you mean you're going to do that? I mean, because Peter always had a way of, you know, being very uh, crazy. And he he would put his uh, foot in his mouth, just saying things. They're like, Peter, get back in the boat. Come on, dude, what what are you doing? Don't do that. And all of a sudden, he puts his other foot off the edge of the boat. Now, he's still holding on to the boat at this time, but he's thinking about it. Then all of a sudden, he lets go of the boat, and he's a little bit shaky, but he stands up, and now he's actually standing on the water. And he looks over, and he's like, whoa. And he puts his eyes directly on Jesus, and he takes one step, and then he takes another. And all of a sudden, he is walking across the way to be with Jesus. And for the first time in human history, there's no other story that I know of, but for the first time in human history, 
an ordinary, regular, fallible human being is upheld by the power of God and Peter is walking on the water. Now, some of you are here for the first time and you're like, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Must have been like a shallow area there that they were, you know, maybe that was it. And that's okay. You can, you can believe what you want to believe. But the whole point of power, that if you believe in a powerful God, is that he has power over everything, including water. And his eyes are locked on Jesus, and Peter experiences the power of Christ. Not because Peter is so special, but because of Jesus. Now, let me say this, folks. If you never get out of the boat, I can guarantee you something. You will never walk on water. If you never get out of the boat, whatever your boat is, you will never walk on water. I mean, the reality is, For each of us here, though, there's something inside of us that is stirring, that is telling us, get out of the boat. Quit just doing the same routine, the same life, doing everything the same over and over and over again. God might have something special for you, but I'd rather stay in the boat. Because if you stay in the boat, it's safe. If you stay in the boat, you won't get hurt. And this is something within you that just says, though, I want to walk on the water. I really do want to take some risk. And I want to grow. Verse 30. But when Peter noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Now, there's something very interesting about this verse, and it's this, that when Peter's eyes shifted to start noticing the wind, he gets frightened. And he's like, whoa, there's a a lot of wind here. And and this could be bad, and and the water's starting to get cold, and man, it's deep, and the waves are high, and when his focus shifts, he becomes frightened, And what's the scripture say? It says he sinks. He actually sinks. Second observation. You cannot walk on water unless your eyes are fixed on Jesus. You can never walk on water unless your eyes are fixed on Jesus. You know, whether Peter was walking or whether he was sinking, there's something that determined that. It depended upon where his eyes were focused. When his eyes were focused on Jesus, he was walking. When he started noticing the wind and the storm around him, he was sinking. Where his eyes were fixed at depended upon where he would be. And my question for you this morning is this. Where are your eyes fixed? Where are your eyes fixed? Is your eyes focused on God and and following what he's asked you to do? Or is it on the storm that you're experiencing either now or in the future? Because the reality is this, folks. 
when it comes to storms, everyone's either in a storm right now, they're just coming out of a storm, or you're getting ready to go into a storm. But you can't escape the storm. Because the storm, if you let it, it will eventually overwhelm you. Now, for some of you, you were raised in homes where every time a storm came around, people got fearful. In fact, they actually put fear in your life. For example, uh, how many of you know moms who, when it gets ready for kindergarten, on the very first day of school, how many of your moms said something like this? Well, today's the first day of kindergarten, kiddo. Go out and take some risk. I mean, jump into puddles, jump off the building, take big chances, go out on a limb, roll the dice today. How many of you ever had a mom that said that? Yeah, I didn't think so. Me neither. But what do moms do when you get ready to go to kindergarten for the very first time? This is what moms usually do. Be very, very careful. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe you're even going to kindergarten, but if you are, I mean, there's going to be storms, there's going to be wind, it's going to be so horrible. You just, just stay here with me. Know that the state tells me you have to go, so you have to go, but oh my goodness, I just cannot let you go because something might happen to you. Something might happen, and you may not be able to handle it. And folks, many of us, honestly, we grew up in homes where fear was the dominant factor. I read an article about a woman who uh, has her Ph.D., and she studied fear for the last 10 years. <laughs> Wouldn't you like that job? Oh, let me study fear, you know. But that's what she did. And underneath all of the fears, fears of aging, fears of finances, fears of relationships, fears of being alone, underneath all of them was one bedrock kind of fear that was there, and it was this, that there is a storm out there, and I'm not going to be able to handle it. That one of these bad things, it's going to happen. I just know it's going to happen. And when it does, I'm not going to be able to handle it. Well, that's one way you can go through life. There's a storm out there, and I'm not going to be able to handle it. But there is another way. You don't have to psych yourself up for it. It is to come to the one who you know walks on water. Because he has power for you to overcome any storm. And you can go to him at any time and he'll give you his awareness and you can pray to him and he's present. And he will build you up and his followers learn this. In fact, one of his closest followers was a guy by the name of Paul who wrote close to half of the New Testament. And one day we find him in the middle of prison and the people outside want to kill him. And death seems imminent. And while he's in the midst of all of this, this is what he writes. Let's read it out loud together. All in one voice. One, two, three. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Some things? Uh, a few things. Just a, just a few. No, no. It says all things. And this idea is... That I don't have to have it all together for Christ to be able to do all things in my life. The idea is I can face anything. I can face anything that life throws my way, whatever it might be, because 
Even though I'm not a strong person, I'm connected to the one who walks on water because he created the water. And I can face it. We sang a song earlier about God's promises, about his faithfulness, that God is a faithful God, and he is. And he is able to handle anything that comes your way. Financial storms, relational storms, school storms, work storms. When Peter's eyes then are fixed on Jesus, he's walking. And when his mind is dominated by the wind and the storm, he's sinking. So again, folks, let me just ask you this morning. Where are your eyes fixed at? Where are your eyes fixed? And this takes us to a third observation, and it's this. Failure is a fact of life, not a way of life. Everybody fails. We talked about that. Failure is a fact of life, but it's not a way of life. I'd like you to uh, look at this picture here real quick of a guy. Anybody know who that is? (laughs) You're like, no. Well, you should. His name is Jonas Salk, and he was the guy who came up with the vaccine for polio. The reason that many of us in here right now, in fact, all of us, don't have polio is because of this guy. He tried 200 different attempts That did not work. And somebody came to Jonas Salk one day and they asked him, how did it feel to fail 200 times? And this is what he said. He said, I never failed at anything in my life. Failure was never taught in my home. I just discovered 200 different ways on how not to make a polio vaccination. Here's another picture of another guy. Anybody know who that is? Winston Churchill. Prime Minister of Great Britain during World War II, considered maybe one of the greatest leaders ever in the history of the world. Somebody asked him one time, they asked him, they said, what most prepared you to lead Great Britain against Nazi Germany all by yourself at times? Churchill's response, it was a time that I had to repeat a class in elementary school. And when the person heard this, you should read the dialogue, the person actually asked him, You you failed elementary school, Winston Churchill? And he said, I've never failed anything in my life. I was given a second opportunity to get it right. Now, here's the question. Jonas Salt came up with 200 inadequate, failing ways to vaccinate against polio. Is Jonas Salk a failure? Winston Churchill, for crying out loud, he flunked in elementary school. Was Winston Churchill a failure? The question is, did Peter fail? Did he fail? Well, yeah, in a sense, he did. He took his eyes off Jesus, and his faith wasn't so strong, and he sank. But you know, I've thought about this story a lot and I've read a lot about it. You know who I think were the greatest failures? It wasn't Peter. It was the 11 guys still in the boat. 
See, because 11 of them decided they wouldn't even get out of the boat. Their failure, though, is unnoticed to us. Most of us read that and we're like, oh, man, if it was Jesus, I would have done that. They're uncriticized. It was private because it was safe. None of them said, God, command me and I will do that. Only Peter knew. And maybe some of you only know what it's like to experience a failure that is public and it's deep and everybody knows. And if you haven't experienced it, sometime in the future, maybe you will. And only Peter understood the pain and the agony and the sense of public failure that everybody knew. But you know what? Only Peter knew what it was like to walk on water and be held by God's power. You know, I was thinking about this week. If you've ever walked on water before, I bet you never forget that. You know what I mean? Like you don't just, there's a lot of things you're like, ah, what were you doing on this day? I don't know. Walking on water maybe? I don't know. I have a feeling that when you've walked on water, you never forget that ever. And I bet Peter actually went to his grave knowing exactly the moment and the day and the time when he walked on water. And for some of you, God's been asking you for a long time to get out of the boat. And you're afraid. And you're fearful. And the reality is, though, If you get out of the boat, you might just walk on water. But who are you going to trust? Only Peter knew what it was like to walk on water, to be held by the power of God. Also, he's the only one whose deepest need was met. You see, the other 11 had this need because the storm was there. But Peter's like, hey... I'm the only one that he actually lifted up. Verse 31 says this. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and what's the next word? Caught him. Have any of you ever ever done the trust fall before? Have you ever done it before and you fell? My brother one time was like, hey, Chris, I'm going to do a trust fall. Bam, right on the back of my head. About got knocked out. I'm thinking about this. Here's Jesus. And Peter knew what it meant to be caught by Christ. That there was nothing that God would ask him to do. That Jesus wouldn't be there. Even if you fail, that he's there to catch you in that moment. And he shared that moment. Well, the story ends this way. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and he caught Peter, saying to him, You of little faith, why do you doubt? When they got back into the boat, the wind ceased, and in the boat they began to worship him, all of them, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Peter and his disciples for one of the first times, saw him not just as a good teacher, not just as a good man, but they saw him as God, the power of God working 
in this moment. And their lives were never the same again. I'd like you to uh, listen to a story of a friend of mine named Tom who went through the painful process of going through a divorce. He didn't want the divorce. He did everything that he could in his power to keep the divorce from happening. But at the end of the day, his ex-wife wanted none of that, and she chose to do it anyway. And it was public, and it was present, and he was in a church, and so the church people were able to see this going on too. And they didn't all know the story, but he experienced the failure. But as he went through this public humiliation, Jesus caught him and helped him to know, never give up. Let's take a look. We were very involved in church, youth, called to the ministry, um, had been involved in ministry since 18 years old. Um, unfortunately, uh, misfortune of events happened that uh, my wife decided she wanted a divorce, um, which was probably the most destroying time of my life. Um, question God, question why God would allow bad things to happen to good people. You know, there was about a year prior to the divorce being final. During that time, it was a very dark, very frustrating time. Um, all of our church friends um, were no longer friends because they didn't know who to choose to um, be with or want to be with or associate with, didn't know how to help or what to say to help. Um, so there was a time that I, uh, I fell away from fellowship because I hated everyone. I, I can't say that I hated God, but I was so frustrated um, that this was happening and I just hadn't, you know, I didn't understand why something, when you served God all your life, this could happen to a family that wanted to honor God and have Him first in our lives. During the the time, I, I felt like I really failed as a father uh, for my children. Failed as a, uh, as a husband. Um, during that time, I remember sitting at the table one day and just saying, "Well, God, I've made a mess of this doing it my way. So here, I give it to you. Make me, mold me, create me to be." the man that you want me to be. Never give up. Um, give your life to God. Let Him take control of everything. Um, we're not failures. Um, God loves us. Um, he said He'd never leave us. He said He'd never forsake us. Um, the world's going to tell you you're a failure, but God will always tell you that He loves you and he will want to encourage you to be the best man or the best woman you can be.
What a powerful story of a storm that came and battered Tom's life. And some of you have gone through the pain of divorce. You know what that's like. And for some of you, maybe the failure that you feel today isn't divorce, but it's something else. Maybe you have a financial failure and everybody in the family knows. Maybe you've had a a work failure and you didn't get the promotion and everybody knows. Maybe you've had a failure in a relationship with a child where you've tried to do your best but it just didn't work. Or maybe right now, if you were honest where you're sitting right now, you're with your spouse, but your marriage is failing. You're not a failure yet, but you feel like it because you're not connecting. The intimacy's gone. There's no sense of hope. Maybe uh, for some of you, you're sitting there and you're like, Chris, you just don't understand. I'm a liar. I've been caught in lies. Like, that's what I do. I lie. I fail. For others of you, of you, I've cheated. And people know it, and I'm a failure. That's who I am. For others of you, maybe you've been the, the gossip queen or king, and everybody knows, man, you can't tell them anything. They can't even hold water. And you feel like a failure. Your kids have acted certain ways, and you feel that way. Maybe your health is bad and you just sense what's wrong with me? What what have I done to cause this? Well, I want you to know today that your story isn't completely written. God takes stormy things just like he did with Peter and he will turn the story around to give you power if you'll get out of the boat and put your legs on the edge of it and focus your eyes on Jesus and say, Jesus, if you if you ask me, I'll, I'll walk even though it's hard. I, I'll trust you. And this is what he says. Even if you fall, I'll catch you. I'll catch you. You know, I was thinking today that maybe some of you in this place, you just need caught. You're worn out. You're tired. You're exhausted. There's some kind of failure that's hit your life and you think it's the end and you just need someone to catch you and the way we're going to do this is by allowing me to pray for you here in just a moment and then for you to sing a song that talks about the fact that God is able to catch you he's able to provide for you he's able to help you to overcome this failure and to trust in a deeper way with him So I'm going to invite you to stand right now, and I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and uh, then we'll sing. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would move in this place. For people who feel as if they failed in life, or they failed recently, or there's something from their past, and they're just having a sense that they... It's easier to stay in the boat, God. Would you remind them in this moment 
through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that failure is an event, never a person. That failure is a way of life, but it's not a fact of life. That you have not left your people. That the story is not completely written. And God, would you do what only you can do through your spirit to encourage people, to bring them to a point of knowing that you are a God who wants to set them free so that they would get out of the boat and walk on water. Because you, God, are able at all times to help them to do that. Do it now, God, for your honor and your glory. In Christ's name, amen.